Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Good morning. We're so glad you could join with us this morning. When I came to preach this morning, look who I found in my chair. Bless her. <laughs> Well, welcome to our next instalment of the Promise and the Purpose series. Today we're looking at what happened immediately after Jesus left the wilderness, where he had been fasting and tested to the extreme by Satan's temptations. Let's read today's full account. Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So, 
immediately after his encounter with the devil in the wilderness. We read at the beginning of this section that Jesus comes back to civilization in the power of the Spirit. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that what we see in Jesus is unattainable. His purpose was to show us what a human walking with God looks like. He wasn't here to show off. He was here to show us what is possible once humanity is restored to God. And he was here to bring that restoration for all of us. We read here in Luke 4 verses 14 to 15 that Jesus came out of the desert after that long period of fasting and resisting temptations from the devil. He should be weak, but he comes out in the power of the Spirit. So, my first teaching point this morning is return in the power of the Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Truthfully, I think his human form could not have returned without the power of the Spirit. His body had gone longer than a human body should withstand without food and drink. And on top of that, he had fought a strong mental and emotional battle through his conversations with Satan. Again, please don't make the mistake of thinking it was easy for him because he is the Son of God. His body and his mind were human and he had to make real difficult and sometimes painful choices, just like we do. After many years living as a Christian, and quite a lot of those years working in ministry, it is my experience that we are always stronger after adversity and after resisting temptation. You know, that pushback grows our spiritual muscles, just like our physical muscles, You know, resistance training is where you exercise your muscles against opposing pressure. Jesus demonstrated that when you push back against the mental pressure to act or think wrong, you get stronger spiritually. 19th century biblical scholar and theologian Adam Clark summed this up well. This is what he said. He who through the grace of God resists and overcomes temptation, is always bettered by it. This is one of the wonders of God's grace, that those very things which are designed for our utter ruin, he makes the instruments of our greatest good. Thus, Satan is ever duped by his own proceeding and caught in his own craft. I like that. Remember this for yourself when you feel under pressure. The temptation is not necessarily a negative addition to your life. Resistance makes you spiritually stronger and you can walk out of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the UK right now, we are on a roadmap out of lockdown and we will, as a church, meet together again in real life sometime. But please do pray for our Hope Church return roadmap to make that happen. Because we might not know or even be able to imagine that roadmap yet. But I can assure you, 
It will happen. And when we do return to regular Hope Church services, I hope and pray that many of you will return in power. You know, like Jesus, we've all actually undergone an elongated and a really elongated period of fasting. Think about it. You know, we have all been fasting the close contact and company of others. We have all fasted our singing and our corporate experience of worship. We have fasted hugs and times of quiet prayer and sharing together. The lack of all these things can cause us to become spiritually weak. And truthfully, we will find it hard to return if not in the power of the Spirit. I think some of you have been fighting the wrong battle. You think that the battle is in your circumstances, but truthfully, the battle will be won or lost in your thought life. All of Jesus' temptations challenged his thoughts and his opinions. To return in power, we must get our thought life in godly order. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as Joyce Meyer puts it, where the mind goes, the man follows. Negative thinking can only lead to negative outcomes. And as I already said, when we push back against the enemy of our faith, we become stronger spiritually. It's like we have more capacity to carry God's spirit. You see, there's less of our flesh in the way and more room for God's spirit. As I was writing this message, I suddenly saw it in a different way. You know, when we work out physically, our body takes the energy stored in our fat cells to build muscles. And you can do that spiritually too. By taking on a spiritual workout and pushing back against the enemy pressure in our thoughts, we start to take the energy from the flesh-led parts of ourselves into building up the spiritual parts of ourselves. We become stronger spiritually when more of our thought life is powered by God's Holy Spirit. So stop avoiding the spiritual gym by deciding to ignore those negative thinking patterns that have taken hold of you and instead start to work out today. Think about it. Gym. G-Y-M. Get your mind in shape. If you want to get into your G-Y-M, get your mind back from the devil. Start mental resistance training. Push back. You know, this means tune out fearful, negative thoughts. Think good thoughts on purpose. Think God thoughts on purpose. This will get you and keep you on purpose, on the purpose God has for you. So let's go back to our story today. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And Luke records that he was glorified by all who heard him teach in the synagogues. That's quite a statement. People were clearly recognising his authority in teaching, and he was popular. You see, Jesus wasn't always in conflict. 
right here at the start of his ministry, he was popular. When someone comes with something new from God, many people jump on board and get excited at first. But how many will stay with it right through to the end, no matter what? Anyway, I just wanted you to notice Jesus was popular. He was glorified at the start of his ministry. And then he goes home to Nazareth, where he was brought up, as it says in Luke. And as was his custom, he goes to synagogue on the Sabbath day. So here is found my second teaching point. Keep the custom of meeting with other believers. Jesus is probably the only person who ever walked on earth who didn't need to go to church. Yet it was important enough for him to keep that custom. Let's reread it. Luke 4 verse 16. As was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Going to your place of worship should be your custom. Not on a whim of how you feel on a particular Sunday or whether you have visitors staying with you, or you haven't had a day off for a while. Going to church is not reliant on how good the service might be, or who's preaching this week, or how many modern worship songs there might sing there, nor who's leading the worship. You see, that's how you might choose to attend a conference or a concert. That's not how you choose whether you go to church. I'm not mincing my words here. Going to church on a Sunday should be your custom. It should be an immovable object in your life. A custom to regularly join with others to worship God. Hebrews 10 verse 23 to 25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you say, see the day drawing near. After lockdown, it will be interesting. I think some will have lost the custom of gathering together, of meeting together no longer accustomed because instead they've actually found new things to become accustomed to, like a Sunday morning hike, choosing to catch up later in the day with church, which truly, at the moment, makes no difference. Yet, what it does is break the custom of going to church on a Sunday morning, and that could have bigger consequences over time than you currently appreciate. Our children were brought up their whole childhood with parents who were always in service on a Sunday. We truly never had a Sunday off unless we were physically away. And even when we were away, we'd visit a local church or have a short service at home together. We'd even get Theobald out. He'd come up over a chair. We didn't take Sundays off because church is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. I know that Mark and I grew stronger in the Lord through this commitment to Sunday ministry. And our children grew their own faithful commitment to God because they prioritised Sunday for God 
for themselves. They didn't feel bad if they missed a friend's party on a Sunday morning because it wasn't an option. It was just, it's Sunday, so I can't go. And the question wasn't there. And they didn't feel bad about it. I checked. I checked with Bethany for sure. They didn't feel bad about it because they didn't feel like they were missing that much because they knew the truth that this life and its pleasures are fleeting. But what happens in church is everlasting. And I have to say, the children enjoyed church. They wanted to be there. I remember one Sunday morning, Mark dislocated his knee before church. That Sunday in the children's ministry, we were running a come dressed as a children's book character. And Beth had an arrangement with three unchurched friends to go together as a group of characters. Now, I know that she was worried about her dad, especially when an ambulance arrived to take him to hospital. But I also know that on that day, she still really wanted to take her friends to church. That's why children's ministry should be run creatively. It should be fun. Children should want to go. Look, I'm not telling you all this to get a pat on the back, but to give you a wake-up call. I want you to think right now. How do you think of church? Is it a Sunday pastime? Is it optional? Is it a hobby? Or is it a commitment? I think if you have children, your answer to that may also be shaping their view of church. It's funny how sports clubs and other weekly commitments are sometimes more regularly attended than church, right? You know, this hobby approach is never going to reap the results you want to see in your faith walk. The Bible is full of examples that the more you sow for God, the more you reap. Try it. Give him every Sunday as an immovable object in your week and see if I'm wrong. Going to church is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. And God wants it for you. Speaker and author Christine Kane says this, when it comes to us gathering together, I am convinced that no one looks forward to it more than God himself. While it is true that through faith in Jesus Christ, every believer is indwelt by God's spirit and has direct access to God, something else is also true. In him, Jesus Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's Ephesians 2 verse 22. The you in this verse is plural, not singular. You together are a dwelling place for God. Remember, Jesus said, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Matthew 18 verse 20. The truth is this. There is a special grace when we gather. So make like Jesus. Keep the custom of going to church. If it was good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Keep the custom of going to church on a Sunday morning. Don't see it as flexible, as a flexible option and open for discussion. People sometimes ask, how do you raise children in the faith? By showing them what's truly important in life and making God time immovable in the week. 
How do you witness to your non-Christian friends and family? By showing them what's truly important to you and immovable in your week. Sure, come stay with me at the weekend. I go to church on Sunday morning. Come with me. In my opinion, the one thing you should become religious about is going to church. Anyway, back to our story in Luke 4. Now, whilst in Nazareth, his hometown, Jesus goes to synagogue as is his custom. And there he reads scripture and teaches with the same power and authority he had in those other synagogues where they glorified him. But the listeners here in Nazareth are different. These listeners are people who have a different view of him. They certainly can see he is speaking with understanding and authority because verse 22 tells us all spoke well of him and marvelled at the words coming from his mouth. But perhaps they marvelled at the words coming from his mouth because of their preconceived ideas over him. Because this is also what it says. Isn't this Joseph's son? I wonder if this account is the reason for that saying that says, familiarity breeds contempt. The people from his hometown should have been the most proud of Jesus. A man from their neighbourhood turning out to be this powerful preacher and so much more. But they couldn't get past their prejudices, their preconceived ideas. He's the carpenter's son. He's a common labourer. He fixed my gate. Who's he to teach us? Who does he think he is? This brings me to my third teaching point. Who do you think Jesus is? Well, let's take a closer look for a moment. Who does Jesus think he is? He says that he is the fulfilment of the scripture that he reads in that synagogue that day. Here it is in Isaiah 61. I'm going to read to you 1 to 3, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now this passage in Isaiah 61 is well known for being a messianic text. That means it's all about the promise of God, of the Messiah. Jesus reads verse 1 to 2, and then basically sits down and says, yup, that's what's happening here and now. So let's take a closer look at verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61. Verses 1 and 2, it goes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is the Son of God, guys. Yet even he needed the indwelling of the Spirit of God to accomplish his purpose. The Spirit of God had descended upon Jesus at his baptism and he grew stronger spiritually through the temptations with the devil in the desert. It goes on, because he has anointed me. The Messiah is referred to in other messianic prophecy scriptures as the anointed one. Anointing is also what would happen to, is what would happen to designate and set someone apart for a holy task, but it was also used 
to appoint kings. So priests would be anointed for the job, to be set apart for their holy task. And in the Old Testament, we do read of the selection of kings being accomplished through the process of anointing. Think about Samuel going around and meeting Saul and then David. Jesus is both king and priest. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. It goes on to bring good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted. Well, the poor here can be translated afflicted. And the account in Luke records Jesus reading, including the words and recovery of sight to the blind. So I think the point here is that the Messiah would heal all the damage that sin brings, making a way out for those who feel trapped and captivated in a cycle of sin. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is the idea of a full reset. A year when all slaves are freed, debts are cancelled and everything is set ready for a new beginning. You can read about it in Leviticus 25 verses 9 to 16. Now Jesus stopped reading halfway through this messianic prophecy. He stopped at this good news, this full reset opportunity that he was bringing to humanity. The rest of that prophecy in Isaiah is about the end times when Jesus will return. So who does Jesus think he is? Who does he think he is? The Messiah. You know, the folk in the synagogue could sit there and wonder, "Mm, who will accomplish these things written by the prophet Isaiah? And he could sit there and say, me. The worshippers might be wondering, when will these things happen? And Jesus could answer them, now. Who does he think he is? Well, more than Joseph the carpenter's son, that's for sure. The one to fulfil the prophecies. The one to reconcile man to God. And Jesus is not swayed by public opinion. He knows who he is and he stays with it no matter what the crowd seem to be saying. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He hits their problem right on the head. Verse 23 of Luke 4, he says, And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So apparently he had performed some miracles in Capernaum. And these people in Nazareth have heard of these miracles. And maybe they're a little put out because he didn't do it here first. After all, they raised him. They're his hometown. He should put them first. Now, we don't know what miracles he performed in Capernaum because Luke hasn't recorded them. But Jesus points out that prophets are not well received in their hometown. And he cites characters from their scriptures that they would have been very familiar with to make this point. He says that Elijah could have helped any widow in Israel, yet he helped a widow from Zarephath in Sidon or Sidon. And Elisha could have hailed many lepers from Israel. Yet it is Naaman, a Syrian, that receives that miraculous healing from leprosy. I think right here, Jesus is making a much bigger statement about his ministry. He is saying his ministry does not belong to them. It's not their right to have his miracles. 
just because they come from his hometown. And by using these particular examples, he's saying even more than that. He is pointing out that those from outside the Israelite nation, those outside of the Jewish race, can have access to his incredible miracles through faith, not through birthright. And we know now that this is exactly what his whole ministry brought us. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Jesus' purpose was to fulfill the promise of Messiah. He came to heal the outcomes of sin, to set us free from the power of sin, and to reconcile all people back to a relationship with God. So if you want to accept Jesus as the healer of the outcomes of sin in your life, and to open your way to full relationship with Father God, you can accept Jesus in your heart today. Tell him, you want in on all of this that I've been talking about. If you want to live for eternal significance rather than fleeting worldly pleasures, then pray this prayer with me now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you're coming back again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God, and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. Back to the story. We can see that Jesus' response made the Nazareth townsfolk unhappy. Now, possibly they were angry because the thing that they thought belonged to them exclusively was actually up for grabs from anyone, from heathens even. This was the son of the town, yet they had no say over how or where his miracles might be performed. They had no control over who God might choose to bless through Jesus. And their special status as God's chosen nation must have felt threatened. We're coming up to another point. You know, often God does things differently to how we think he should. Now, of course, we have benefited from Jesus's ministry, being available to all those who choose him in faith who all those who choose to follow him. But those people of Nazareth, they couldn't see through our eyes. They just had something that didn't match their view of God. Be careful that you don't throw something out because it doesn't match your preferred doctrine. Make sure you seek God and his word for clarity or you could miss out on God's best for you because that's my fourth teaching point. Become a student of the word of God. Let his word be your only full doctrine. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You can only form valuable opinions from within the information that you know. If you only have half the story, you can only have half the ending. The people of Nazareth only had half the story. They couldn't grasp that God might have a salvation plan for us heathen Gentiles. No wonder they gathered around him so full of wrath. They must have thought he was a false teacher. No wonder they wanted to do away with him. In fact, Luke describes the scene as very threatening. This is what it says, Luke 4, verse 28 and 29. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Jesus was already observed by them to be a good teacher and now he's in danger for his life. How quickly people come against something they don't fully understand. So this brings me to my last teaching point. The opinions of others do not shape your purpose. People won't always like what you do or what you say. I want you to remember that their objections may run deeper. Deeper than you can see on the surface. And like Jesus, some of the people closest to you may not understand your calling. But like Jesus, their objections do not change your calling. Don't let negative accusations or even your own negative self-doubts to stop you fulfilling purposes that God has set before you. If he called you to it, he will equip you to complete it. Did Jesus apologise or talk his way out of this violent mob? No. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. He just walks right through them. He just walks away. How is that possible? This violent mob that want to throw him off the cliff and he just walks through them? I think the answer is right at the start of today's message. We've gone full circle. Remember, coming out of the wilderness, Luke 4 verse 14 tells us Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. To stop a mob silently and walk away unharmed seems like a very powerful thing to have done. You know, the tangible presence of God on a person is an awesome thing. I've experienced it. I've been in a gathering where I was worshipping with my eyes closed. Now, I was in the second row. And when I closed my eyes to enter into a time of worship, no one was sat in front of me. But I remember a distinct moment in the middle of that worship when I physically felt a powerful force. My eyes were closed, but I felt something kind of hit me from in front. You know, like like a boom, like a sonic boom. Like It just hit me and I nearly fell over. <laughs> you know, I was taken aback. I had to stumble. And then it came again. Waves of spiritual power, almost too overwhelming and certainly tangible. Well, when I opened my eyes, 
I realised that the speaker for the conference had arrived and he was worshipping God right in front of me. He was in the seat in front of me and he was immersed in the Holy Spirit, fully overflowing. The power of the Holy Spirit on him was literally bouncing off him at me. This man had been through the worst that life could possibly throw at anyone. And as I said at the start, our spiritual muscles and capacity for God's spirit grows stronger in adversity from the enemy if we push back against the devil's attacks. This man had certainly had to push back. He'd learned to push back against everything the enemy tried to destroy him with. And when I met him, he was a walking Holy Spirit powerhouse. And this man was quite tiny. His name is Brother Yun. You should read his story sometime. It's called The Heavenly Man, because that became his nickname, having been used as an abusive term for him originally. Listen, guys, it puts a lot into perspective and it will encourage you in your faith. Jesus walked away from that mob because the power of God on him would have been tangible and I expect the crowd felt it. It wasn't his time yet. You can carry that tangible presence of God, guys. It doesn't prevent all the bad stuff happening because as both Brother Yun and Jesus' stories remind us, sometimes suffering is in the offering. Sometimes we will have trials and troubles, but our pushback against the weakness in our minds that calls us to give up is a way to the spiritual strength we see in Jesus when he walked away unharmed. So as we close, let's recall today's teaching points. Return in power. When we come back together, let's return in power. And keep the custom of going to church. It should be an immovable part of your week. Pass through a checkpoint here with me, guys. Who do you think Jesus is? Who is he to you? I suggest you become a student of the word. And remember, the opinions of others do not shape your purpose and your calling. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are always with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that we will not forsake you, that we will not give up meeting together, and encouraging one another, because church is not a destination. It is the people. It is us. Help us to be your church to the people around us. God, I pray that you will give Hope Church a roadmap out of lockdown, and that we will all return in power. Fill each of us with your spirit, mighty living God, Take those flabby parts of our thinking and turn them into strong spiritual thoughts that will bring victory to our lives. God, you are my God, and I am determined to live like it. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.